Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 266 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Join me again this week, the godfather, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? Tired, man. Tired. Tired. What, you been playing baseball? No, man. Flew, just flew in from Hawaii, you know. Oh, that's right. And boy, are your arms tired. That's right. Yikes. Um, so we got some things we want to talk about. We're going to do eliminate uh, some more competitors in Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. going to be down to the final four that we'll discuss. But uh, before we do that, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. And we the story of last week and this week, and I feel like we need to go ahead and discuss it right off the top here, Nick Senzel. Finally, Nick Senzel makes his debut. And I guess I can talk about something with you here, Bill, that you knew about because I told you about it, but uh, I hadn't told really anyone else. Uh, it, we didn't talk about it on the podcast last week. Uh, and let me just... It, I know that uh, Nixon Zell's father mentioned me on the Fox Sports broadcast, and I thought I'd let uh, our listeners, both of you, uh, understand, you <laughs> right, understand um, exactly what went down there. On Wednesday of last week, the Reds contacted Nixon Zell and told him, hey, look, we're not announcing it yet, but you're coming to Cincinnati. We're, we're calling you up. And uh, later that day, I get a call out of nowhere from Nixon Zell's father. Now, I had never spoken to Nixon Zell's father before, uh, except over Twitter. Uh, and really not even over Twitter, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, he says, listen, man, when Nick was uh, first drafted, you uh, you wrote something about him. You know, and it was some, if you go back and look at it, it's in Stain Magazine about fathers and sons. And um, and he didn't really say a whole lot more than that. Um, but he said, we would like to invite you if you want to come and, uh, and watch his debut game with uh, Nick's friends and family. We would love to have you there. And I thought, I was like, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, it just it came out of nowhere. Um, unspoken, I guess, is that I've been pretty uh, vocal about the way I feel like the Reds are, have not treated him particularly well in, in the last uh, year year or so. But anyway, he invited uh, me and my son to come up and uh, we watched the, his debut game. And it was just so exciting to watch Senzel's debut through the eyes of these people that have known him his whole life. And, you know, just when they announced his name before the game in, in the starting lineup, just how the energy they, they had uh, that they were exuding. And um, he got his first hit that night. And I don't know, it was just, I really appreciate um, Jeff Senzel in, inviting uh, me to do that. And, uh, and he didn't have to mention me on the broadcast, but he did. And uh, anyway, it was a pretty good debut by Nick Senzel as well, so I thought I'd go ahead and get that out of the way. Any thoughts on Senzel's debut, Bill? I don't know how you can be anything but impressed with the job he's done thus far, and and he looks as good as anybody in center field. He has. I mean, he made one great play that first night, but he's really he's made all the plays out there. Um, looks comfortable. What I liked about his debut is that his first two at-bats, he ran the count full in both of them, you know, fouled a couple pitches off. He, it just, he, he appears to be a kid that really – knows what he's doing at the plate and uh we can't have too many of those guys and yeah it was funny one of the days since that chris welsh ran a, a tech talk before one of the ball games and he, it was with nick that i assume they filmed it back in, in arizona in goodyear and uh it was funny though because it kind of reminded me of uh of yogi Berra in ball four where they were talking about you know when he was trying to teach hitting yeah. Nick has an easier time hitting than he does explaining exactly. And, I, and I'm and i guessing this is true with most hitters. You know, it's easier just to whack the ball than it is to try to explain, you know, your, your hand position and where you're staying, you know, you're getting back on your back foot. And I, But it kind of reminded me of Yogi Berra, you know. You want at the end, you want to go, oh, hell, just watch me do it, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. And he went out there, and uh, I think everyone was impressed that first night with, uh, with what he did. It was just really uh, – not so much with the outcome of the game. Well, no, that wasn't that fun as the Reds jumped out to an eight to nothing lead only to to blow it. But uh the next day he uh was robbed of a home run since Zell's first home run and then the next at bat went opposite field for a home run and then I'm not sure that one he got robbed on would have went out. I think you're right. Everyone said clearly robbed and the more I look at it, the more I think eh, maybe. I think it was either right on the yellow line or right below the yellow. But nevertheless it was a it took extra bases away from a and it was a great play in center field. Yeah, absolutely. And he comes up the very next time, and, and, and no doubter, opposite field, which was great. And then in his fourth game, he hits two home runs. So, you know, uh, 
I guess we need to pump the brakes a little bit. That's something I wanted to mention today, and you and I have discussed that, uh, which is this guy's the real deal. He deserves to be here. He clearly is ready to be here. But you know what? He's going to struggle at times, too. Yep. He's not the savior of this team, and let's not treat him like that, but he's certainly good enough to be here right now. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see how guys struggle, go back and look at Jay Bruce's first month or so with the Reds and and and, and then look at, you know, where – and, and I think you were talking to somebody on Twitter about the about Jay Bruce and comparing him. And, and, you know, Jay Bruce has had a great major league career, but you know, his first couple of weeks or month, I mean, he looked like the next coming of Babe Ruth. He did. I've said, told this story on the podcast where I happened to be in New York during Jay Bruce's, uh, that first stretch when he first came up and people were going nuts and I'm walking around, uh, New York and see two different people wearing Jay Bruce jerseys because the Reds were in town to play the, uh, the Yankees. And, uh, and just, you, are you crazy? We're seeing Jay Bruce shirts walking around New York City. And he was good. And then, of course, you know, he had the career he had. That's my question, though. Somebody was like, oh, what if he's going to turn out like Jay Bruce? That was essentially the, the the tweet that I got that I responded to. And maybe I read too much into it. But I mean, my thought was, well, I think he's going to have a better career than Jay Bruce. And he certainly, you know, has uh, his ceiling is pretty high. But if his career is, quote, unquote, just Jay Bruce's career, that's a pretty darn good big league career that it's better than most people have, right? Yeah, yeah he's going on 10 years, three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, almost, you know, 19 and a half war. Uh, that ain't bad. Yeah, I mean, we hope for more. Heck yeah. But uh, but anyway, if that's, his, uh, if that's his floor, that's not that bad. So, uh, exciting debut. Have you seen the new kid, uh, Josh Van Meter, yet that they brought up as well? Nick Senzel's roommate at AAA. Have you got a chance to see him hit? Uh, I saw. I didn't see him last night when he got the, when he started, but I, I saw a couple of the you know uh, pinch hit appearances. Again, he looks like he knows what he's doing up there. He's work, you know, he's working the count better than some of our regular guys. Yeah, what I thought was interesting from him, uh, and I had not seen him at all in AAA. Matter of fact, I wasn't even sure he was a real guy until I saw him. I had never heard of him before this season. I know we followed the Reds as closely as anyone, and he, well, he wasn't in the top thirty prospects list anywhere. He just came out of nowhere, but he. There's a reason he came out of nowhere. There's an explanation in terms of what he did and his changing his mechanics. And, and you watch him swing, and I love his, his left-handed hitter. I love his swing. He does not get cheated up there. And uh, I can see why he's hitting so many home runs because he has that uppercut swing. A little bit like, uh, I don't want to compare him to, to uh, Bruce or to, to King Griffey, but just a left-handed swing that is destined to hit some long balls. I enjoyed watching him. So good luck to him. Not sure how long he'll be in Cincinnati. Um, the other news that happened since we podcasted last, Bill, and I want to get your thoughts on two transactions. Scott Schebler moved to AAA, and Matt Kemp shown the door, released. Uh, what do you think about those two decisions? I'll take the second one first. It shows you the value that Kemp has, because my guess is, you know, if they could have got somebody to take him, they would have still paid you know, up to 99% of his salary and just to get him. And, and they probably, I, I'm assuming that they had no, no takers at all. That's the only explanation. Uh, yeah. The, the Shevler thing is a bit more of a surprise to me because I thought the team would be a little more stubborn than this. I mean, I, I think it's a good move and, and, you know, I hope he goes down there and straightens himself out and comes back up here and is productive, but he wasn't productive. You know, oh, the only thing he was doing was walking. You know his defense isn't good enough to keep him afloat in the big leagues when you're not when you're not hitting at all. Um, good guy for the team, good teammate from everything here. He's only 28. You know, hopefully he'll go down there, get himself straightened out, and if we need him, he'll be back up. Yeah, I think that's the issue with uh, with Shebler. You know, to me, he's still. I haven't changed my mind. Before the season, I thought he's he should be the fourth outfielder on this team. He could be a dynamite fourth outfielder. He's been kind of miscast as a starting center fielder. And that's uh, that's tough, but just frankly, in my opinion, he's a legit big leaguer, and I think it's not a bad idea to send him down to let him get straightened out a little bit. But I think he needs to be back up here. I really do. I think he makes this team better. And uh, right now, really don't have a backup outfielder other than Jose Peraza, um, Dietrich. Dietrich playing out there. He's not really a, an outfielder, uh, and Michael Lorenzen. So, you know. Um, I hope he gets things straightened out sooner rather than later because I do still think he can have some value to this team. But yikes, just a unbelievably bad start to the season. Uh, the Matt the, the other thing I wonder too, is, and, and this is something that Chris has talked about, about how the Reds didn't like sending guys back down once they brought him up 
because he said the Reds always said, we don't want to have to send him back down. And the Reds don't do this very often. So you wonder if this is also a change in the, in the thinking in the front office. Maybe, although I'm not sure what the reason is. I think that's an excuse to delay bringing them up. We're going to leave them down there until we're sure they're oh. ready and never have to go back. True, but, but it hasn't been very often when guys got sent down. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's a, the, the correct strategy, I guess is what I'm saying. But no, I'm not saying it is either. Yeah, but you're right. It's, it's, whether it's a change. Yeah, um, I, I think it's the right I think it's the right call uh, for now. I hope he's back soon. Um, about Matt Kemp, to me, that to- tells me two things. Um, number one is the thing that you just said. There were no takers, and uh, he clearly had no future here, like we'd all been saying for months. And the Reds had put him and Shebler in the starting lineup for a month. Uh when really neither of them are long-term solutions here. But with him going down, the other thing it tells me is, along with the Shebler move, is that it, talking about bringing somebody up when they're and not sending it back down, Nick Senzel is here to stay. Uh, he's, he is the starting center fielder. He's let off a couple games, hit number two. I mean, he he is one of the starting eight for the foreseeable future. And I think that just confirmed the day after he – Makes his debut. They make those two moves, sending Shebler down and, and cutting bait with uh, with Camp. Is that? I'm not reading too much into that, am I? No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I'm not sure we'll ever have a starting eight with this manager, but that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> yeah, and we will discuss that uh, in a moment. All right, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. Specifically, there's one uh, one gentleman what I want to speak about. about? <laughs> where you, where you we been? weren't talking about the Houston Astros. There <laughs> he goes again. Uh, how about Rosella Glacis? You want to talk about him? We've okay. talked. We've talked about him before because you were way more concerned early in the year than I was. And yes. uh, And then since uh, Iglesias goes on this big stretch of striking out like a hundred hitters in a row, and I thought, ha, 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 Bill's wrong. I'm right. And then immediately Rosella goes back to uh, blowing games. The Reds, um, let's see, I've got it. I, I pulled it up here so that we know. Not including the uh, the extra inning game, uh, the second game of the series against Oakland. Before that, the Reds were, what did we have? 5-11 uh, and 11 in one-run games. So 5-11. and 11. So half of their losses have been one-run games. Yes. And at the time I, at the time I said that, uh, at the time I looked that up, if the Reds had just gone eight and eight in those games at that time, instead of five and eleven, just eight and eight, just win three more of those, they're a five hundred team. If they had gone eleven and five instead of five and eleven, they have this, they'd have the second best record in the National League. And there are reasons for that. That, that that's the key to me. That's this team has lost so many of these close games. And that's a big reason why they're in last place now. Uh, the offense is obviously a huge part of that. You lose one-run games because you're not able to score runs. But the other side of that is Rosetta Glacius, who I think everyone expected was going to be the best pitcher out there. He has been at least partially responsible for six of those 11 one-run losses. He has five losses and then another one where he blew a, blew a lead and didn't get the loss in the game, but the Reds ended up losing uh, when he came in with a, with a lead. So six of those 11 run losses, if he is just pitching like Rosella Iglesias, the Reds probably win five of those six because they're games where they were leading. And so then you're talking about, uh, you know, the Reds are 10 and one in, uh, or no, not, not, that's not right. Uh, let's see, 12 and four probably in those games. So uh, Rosella Iglesias is becoming a problem. That's, that's the, where we start here, right? Performance-wise, he's becoming a problem. And then... And then. This week, uh, Rosella Glacius was quoted, he told Bobby Nightingale, since they inquire, and here's the exact quote. Uh, the way they are using me is horribly wrong. That was the actual quote. And he went on to whine about the way David Bell is using him, bringing him in the tie games, in, uh, in, and you know, bringing him in when it's not just a closer situation. He said, you can see the other closers. They don't pitch in tie games. I'm the only one who comes in tie games, and I've given up homers, and I'm losing some games. I feel really bad. I already have five losses, something that hasn't happened to anyone else in the big leagues. Five losses in the first month of ball. 
That shouldn't be like that. The way they're using me horribly wrong. The closer comes in to finish ball games. So anyway, I here's my hope. My hope is that something was lost in translation. Then they need to fire the translator. <laughs> because it, there, unless something was uh, completely screwed up in translation, there's no other way to read that other than, oh no, right? I, I got first my well, you, uh, first thing I posted on Twitter was shut up and pitch better. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, I mean, the other thing is, and you haven't even mentioned this yet, is he was told when he signed his extension for big money yeah. how he was going to be used. And let's also remember that th he was late starting in spring training because he was, quote, unquote, working on something. There may be a physical issue here that we don't aren't even aware of. That's true. Uh, you know, and if, and, if it, and if that's the case, then shame on David Bell for running him out there in high level. And, and that was the thing I said the other day. When you're struck, when a guy's struggling like this, I don't care who you are. You know, I don't care if you're Bruce Sutter or whatever great closer you want to name. When you're struggling, don't put him in in high leverage situations. Let him get back on a roll before you push him back into that role. You know, I, it just amazed me. For what, what he said is amazing to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't the disagree. Fact that they continue to use him in that role and, and, and go, and, and Bell says publicly, we have confidence in him. We're going to continue to use him in this manner. Why? Well, you've got how many years now of evidence of how good he is? That I'm, I'm arguing the devil's advocate point of view here. He's been the best pitcher in the bullpen for how many years now? So, so uh, uh, Disclafani was the best starter in the bullpen or in a, in a rotation last few years too. <laughs> okay, all right, but he's been now. Come on. Uh, that's not incorrect, but he's been legitimately good. Rezel has. Absolutely, I agree with you. So, but what what do you, what do you always say? Father time catches up to everybody. Yeah, close to that. Uh, Father time is undefeated. Yeah, uh, and I don't think that's the case here. I think either it's a concentration issue, or, or there's a health, there's some type of health issue. I, I don't know what the issue is. I love the idea of the Reds using their best pitcher, who they think is their best pitcher in high leverage situation. You're right. They signed him to a three-year, $24 million deal this offseason, and the idea was that we're going to guarantee his money so he didn't go through the arbitration process, and it'll allow us to use him in a, a non-traditional way. That, that here's my question from what you just said. What's that? Here, here's my question to you from what you just said. Okay. Would you, would you right now be running him out there in, in the highest leverage situations? Um, if that, you were David Bell? No. Okay. I was arguing the devil's advocate role a moment ago. The flip side of that is relievers are fungible. They come and go. Even the very best relievers have a short lifespan often. And I don't think his career is over. I think uh, signing him to that extension was a great idea. But at this point, at this point, we've seen him be dominant this year. He had a stretch where he was unhittable. We've yeah, also he struck out nine in a row, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I know that well, that's uh, phenomenal, but then you know he's also throwing the ball right down the pipe and cost some ball games yeah. five times. This is true. I'm not arguing with you. I'm uh, kind of in a roundabout way agreeing with you. I, I would have real difficulty putting him in uh, those roles at this time. But I mean, his ERA is four point five. Who would, who would you use right now? <sighs> Amir Garrett. Let's talk about Amir Garrett for a minute. You're a big fan of Amir Garrett. I'm a bigger fan of him than David Bell apparently is. He's pitched in more games than any other Reds reliever. Yes, he has. And fewer innings than almost any of them. <laughs> yes, he Literally. Yeah. I, is, that, is that the guy that you would use in the, the toughest spots right now? Yeah, I would. Um up until the up until the last few days, I'd have said him and Stevenson, but Stevenson, you know, he struggled a little bit in the last few days, but he's he's still, I think, throwing phenomenally well and still not and, walking, guys. Yeah, right. Which is a big thing with him. Yeah. But the thing is, Garrett hasn't really had. A, I mean, he's had. I think he had one bad outing where he gave up a home run. Uh, uh, he's given up one home run. Yeah. 
But other than that, it's like Bell has no confidence in him against against right-handers. None. Yet he seems to have a lot of confidence in Zach Duke and even 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 Wandy Peralta, more so than Amir Garrett. And I don't understand that. Yeah, that might that might be my biggest question. Uh, I understand not having faith maybe in a lefty, but when you got these other two lefties who clearly are not as talented as Amir Garrett, and you do let them pitch to right-handers, especially Duke, who has pitched to a, a number of right-handers this year, yeah, that's my, that's my big question. I, I I don't think you can go through the whole season. And, 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 and God, you know, there are going to be people that are going to crack up when I say this. You and I have longed for an analytical manager. But now I'm wondering if we've gone too far that way. You're saying that you want Jerry Naren back. That's, no, that's what you're saying. No, I'm not. Oh, my goodness. What I'm saying is every decision doesn't have to be solely based on what, that, what, what your printout says. <laughs> I don't know. I'm having a hard time. I do want to dig into that uh, question a little bit more, but let me circle back to Rizal. Then we'll come to David Bell because okay. that, that, there's something interesting there. I'm actually going to change my opinion. I think I do still pitch Rizal Iglesias. I mean, look at his numbers. He's given up home runs, and that's for the, last two, for the last two years. And that's that's not good. But his numbers aren't awful overall. His ERA is five. It's 4.58. His ERA plus is 100, dead average. You know, I think until I'm shown otherwise, I still pitch him in those. Unless there's something, some health issue that we don't know about. He's walked seven guys in 17 innings. That's not real good. It's not. It's not. But he struck out 28 guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, Zach Duke's walked more guys. Oh, so you're going to compare him to Zang? That, that's your comparison? <laughs> He's better. Hey, I'm, here's what I'm telling you. Rosetta Iglesias is better than Zach Duke. He's given up more hits per nine than he ever has in his career. He's, he's given up more home runs per nine than he ever has in his career. He's walked per nine is higher than it's ever been in his year, career. Mm-hmm. Now, his strikeouts per nine is higher than it's ever been in his career, too. His track record is better than anyone else in that bullpen. But you know, and and we're like I said, sixteen games. We're we're twenty three percent into the season. I figured that out before we went on. So I mean, but we're getting to the point where we're not talking about small sample size anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm hesitant there. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not giving up on him yet. Yeah, I go with you know, and I his his statements smack of uh, contract, you know, contract numbers. I'm not getting, you know, I'm not getting saves. I'm getting too many losses. These are things that are going to hurt me the next time I have to negotiate a contract. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, to me, the uh, the idea behind signing that extension and buying out his arbitration years is that he wouldn't have to go in that room and right uh, and argue. So, so we have the flexibility to use him these other ways. You know, uh, he's got he's got three years left. He, he's not, you know, and, and by then he'll be thirty two and and. You know, you, you're a, you're a, for the most part, most people are a marginal reliever by their mid thirties or early to mid thirties. Yeah, except Zach Duke, who's a valued member of the Reds bullpen. At thirty six. Yeah. So okay, let's get back to David Bell because I think it's the topic on everyone's tongue in the last little bit in uh, in Cincinnati. The Reds continue to struggle. They're seven games under as we record this. And getting ready to the game may have started actually. Yeah. This afternoon as we record this, um, the third game of the Oakland series, the Reds are seven games under, still have a good uh, run differential, plus twenty. Um, but, yeah, when well, they win, they win big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's and and so because the Reds have lost and most you know five and twelve now in one run games, so twelve of the twenty two losses are in one run games. That's amazing. It's just amazing. Uh, but they are seven games under in last place, and that's going to fall on the manager often. And David Bell, I got to say, it's it's not enjoyable watching him manage, but I don't have any problem really with David Bell. Let me give you a, a viewer mail question here that may frame this for you, Bill, because I think this is maybe uh, maybe something uh, in the direction of what you're trying to say. Ryan J. Southworth on uh, Twitter asks. I love to see the apparent use of analytics the Reds use in lineup construction, but could there be a connection between the human element, 
i.e. the uncertainty and lack of consistency in when and where a player will play, and the offensive woes. Hash Brown, viewer mail. Um, uh, what do you think there, Bill? What, 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 what's your issue with, uh, with Bell and his lineups and with his use of the pitchers? What are your issues? I, 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 first, I want to start out by saying this. I'm not ready to fire David Bell or anything like that. I, I, I want – I've got a, a one I, – I, I wonder thing after I say this. I, I do have a problem with, with his use of the bullpen. I, I, think, I think he's going to burn his bullpen out by the end of June. I mean, right now, if they stay on the pace they're going right now, they're, they're going to have like five relievers that pitch in between 70 and 83 games. If they stay on the, you know, last year they had one guy that threw over 72 games and two of them that threw 66 games. I mean, that's a tremendous increase of load on your bullpen. Because it's not just the innings pitch, because, you know, you're, you're out there, you're in there warming up. Who knows how many times you're warming up. And with, and with the way he changes relievers, the, 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 the lineup construction seems like he pulls it out of a hat every day. Uh, there's a lot of arguments about whether Winker ought to be playing against left-handed pitching or not. I'm not even going to get into that right now. The other thing is this, the, you know, everybody, well, I won't say everybody, but, but Chris Welsh and, and Tom Brenneman, those guys were, Yahoo, you know, Ballyhoo and the, well, he, you know, he's got his lineups figured out days in advance and he lets players know when they're going to be off work, off, off out of the lineup. And, and I thought the point they made about Puig over the weekend, you know, on Monday, I think it was Monday, was, or su- it was Sunday, was so apropos. He did, you know, a game where he hit what four shots was where the velocity was over a hundred and he's out of the lineup the next day. It's like, he's trying, you know, he's starting to get locked in and then you give him a day off. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, And and here's where I'm going to, I wonder if there's anybody on that bench that has the experience or his enough of his confidence that they could, that they, that they can say to him, you know, maybe that's not the best idea in the world. Maybe we ought to throttle back a little bit and let this guy try to pitch out of trouble. You know, maybe let it throw, let let Garrett throw to a right-hander. You know, because he's got a left-hander up after him. You know, I don't know, and, and none of us know what's going on on that bench. But most teams have, a, you know, an experienced major league guy as a bullpen or as a bench coach when they've got a, a young manager. The Reds don't have that. So you want more old guys involved? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I'm an old guy, so you know I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm looking out for my demographic. I think there are real reasons to uh, be critical of David Bell. I think that uh, certainly the pitching uh, <laughs> the pitching changes and the way he's using his bullpen, I have real questions about him. Um, all the pitching changes, I, again, I think I've said it here on the on the podcast, I believe, but um, I stole it from the uh, Hunt for Reds October podcast. If you if you listen to that, um, don't listen to that with your uh, with your children in the room. But if you do listen to that fine uh, podcast, uh, someone said, I wish I knew who. They'll tell me on Twitter after they hear this, who it was that said this. But he's uh, David Bell's one DUI short of uh, being Tony La Russa with all those pitching changes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's a pretty good line. And so I want to credit that where it uh, belongs. But in terms of burning had his bullpen, I don't know that the numbers said – suggest that that's true. Remember, he has one more reliever than the Reds have had in recent years. And the Reds are in the bottom half of innings pitch for bullpens. Innings pitch. I'm talking about games. And, and for every game you're in, you're warming up. Okay, right. There's something to, There's something between games and innings pitch. We, there's we, some... will not, we will not know. If he's burning the bullpen out, we're not going to know it until it's too late. Yeah, I think that's fair because the Reds are second in games pitched by the bullpen. Um, but in uh, 16th, 17th, somewhere in that neighborhood in terms of innings pitched. So he's bringing more pitchers in for fewer innings. I, I said I said this, I think, the last time we were on. He manages every game of the, the season like it's the seventh game of the World Series, and I don't think you can do that for 162 games. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will, because he's not going anywhere, folks. If you're, if, you're, if you're one of those, they need to fire him, that ain't happening. No, he doesn't need to be going anywhere. Uh, he absolutely his, his seat should not even be mildly warm. Even if he did, even if he was managing like Vern Rapp, <laughs> they invested too much into David Bell and into what they the, the changes that they're making they've made to this organization to think that they're going to throw the, the the baby out with the bathwater this early. Yeah, if you if you're 
angling for him to be fired. Just save your breath. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen, and it should not happen uh, at this point. I, there's just, he's done nothing to deserve uh, being fired. They've played pretty ba- poorly, but I think there are real uh, reasons you can point to for why they've played so poorly. And uh, I don't know. I just I still say it can't it can't keep happening. This offense can't keep hitting like this, right? We keep saying that. I mean, that's not on Bell, is it? No. Or, or is it? I mean, you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, the buck stops here is, you know, what I always say. So, you know, in long term, yeah, but and, – and we've talked to us, and I talked about this, you know, with Steve Offenbaker. You wonder where the, where the struggle is. Are they are they trying to institute changes that, that I haven't really grabbed a hold yet? Or Who the heck knows? But there are too many good hitters on this team – Struggling in too many different ways for it to for for any logic to make you think it's gonna it's gonna continue. I it just I haven't and and you and I have talked about this. We both believe that this team is much better than its record, yeah. and that it's, and that they're gonna go on a. I firmly believe they're gonna go on a tear at some point. The question is, may, how big of a hole are they gonna have to dig themselves out of when they do go exactly on that tear? Right, exactly right. Um, but you know, I, I expect this team, maybe it will be when the weather gets warm. I, you know, I, whatever, you know, maybe it'll be whatever, for whatever reason, something will happen that'll trip the the switch. But this is the kind of team that I could see winning, you know, 20 out of 25. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a boatload of talent on this team and and there are guys that, that I wasn't real familiar with that are on this team that. How, how you cannot be impressed with with Iglesias, the other, the the, the one that's playing well, <laughs> the Iglesias you like, Jose. Well, no, I, I, see that's not fair. <laughs> it's completely fair. You I hate Rosel Iglesias. I, I said I wouldn't use him in that role right now. <laughs> I'm not even ready to ship him out. But you know, Derek Dietrich, I love Derek. He he's my new favorite red. Is he amazing or what? What a, I mean, for one thing, he's played very very well. Has an argument as, as the best Reds hitter. He is a good. T- I want to have a beer with Derek Dietrich. I want to sit down and have a couple cold ones with that guy. He is. Uh, that would be fun. That brings me to another question I want to ask you. Dietrich does have a good time. You know, uh, they wore those blue uniforms on Sunday. He came out with eye black, painted this big old Fu Manchu mustache, and then they had the game that was delayed by bees, and he came out dressed like he was a, supposed to be supposedly a beekeeper, and he was gonna. Um, and then out in Oakland, they had an issue with the lights, and he came out with a tool belt on, acting like he was going to – I mean, just – he's having a fun time. And uh, and meanwhile, he's been probably the best hitter on the team so far this year. Second on the team in home runs with nine. Second with 22 uh, runs batted in, even though he has not been a, a primary starter. He has fewer plate appearances than uh, any of the primary starters. But uh, – He's got an OPS plus of 152. He's, he's hammering the ball. He's mashing it. And uh, – Yeah, when he hits it. He squares it and squares it up. It goes a long way. But you know what? His his play discipline is pretty good. He's walking. Yeah. I mean, nothing to dislike about that guy. And plus, he's having a ton of fun. Now, that combined with, you know, you see uh, Joey Votto and, and Jesse Winker doing their trust falls after home runs. And, um, you know, uh, this team, all the antics that uh, we see from Suarez all the time, he act like he was going to, uh, shove a guy off the field yesterday that got him out on, at second base on, uh, for the A's and Jesse Winker waving at the Mets fans and just sort of playing around. I love that stuff. I love all that stuff Derek Dietrich's been uh, doing, but I keep seeing this consistent criticism. Why are they having fun? They're losing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know me, I, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I, I have a, no problem with it when the game isn't being played. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a problem with it during the course of a ball game. But the, the things we're talking about aren't while the ball's in play. Right. You know, it's not showboating stuff in, in the sense of, you know, while the game's going. Gosh, I don't even know how I'm, I'm not explaining this very well. Um, I'll give you, I'm trying to parallel this with with my, some of my problems with Brandon Phillips. (laughs) I knew we were going there and and I'm trying to be consistent. You know, I'm trying to be fair to, to, to both Phillips and the guys. Now 
I didn't like that Phillips was always the last guy out of the dugout. He always had to come out of the dugout by himself. I didn't like throwing the ball between his legs. I didn't. To me, that that's worthless stuff, and that's during the course of the ball game, and that's taking away from somebody else. What these guys are doing doesn't take anything away from anybody else. They're, in fact, they're trying to bring their teammates into it for for the most part. Um, the, the the stuff with Winker in New York. I'm old enough to remember Pete Rose getting batteries thrown at him in the outfield in New York in 73 during the playoffs. In fact, they had to pull the team off the field during the 73 playoffs. Um, let's, let's not act like the, the fans in New York were, were sitting on their hands out there and not giving Winker hell. And he was just giving it back to him. I'm sure the Dietrich, the Dietrich stuff is one of the, I mean, they're in the game going on when the stuff we're talking, most of this stuff goes on. So it's irrelevant. I thought the mustache thing with the with the nineteen eleven uniform was hysterical. Yeah, I don't have any problem at all with uh, any of uh, that during the game. Whatever, I don't care. I like. I want them having fun. If Brandon Phillips wants to come back out and smile a lot and uh, be happy, I'm fine with that too. Um, I I'll, I'll be gone. They bring <laughs> Brandon Phillips back. I'm tendering my resignation as a Reds fan. My issue with Phillips is just that he was uh, overrated compared to what, you know, in the sense of what he did on the field. He was good, but not as good as he thought he was or as everyone else thought he was. Uh, Two nothing Reds. Yeah. But, but listen, the stuff these guys are doing, it's, it's great. Keep it up. Let the kids play, as Major League Baseball said. I don't have any issue with it at all. And I don't care if they're winning or losing or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, I guess I see why people get upset. And I'm sure I'll get some feedback from this, but I, th- that does not bother me at all. I don't think it's I don't think it's keeping them from winning games. I guess is the way I'll put it. Well, the I mean I'm sure the argument would be is if they're fooling around like this, they're not concentrating the way they should be. I don't know whether that's true or not. I've never played in a professional level. I know I wouldn't be able to fool around like that and perform to the best of my limited abilities when I used to play ball. Well, but we're talking. I don't think that's true. The stuff we're talking about. Oh yeah. See, to me, and that's just knowing myself. If I was fooling around doing this stuff, you know, during a, you know, between innings or whatever, you know, it would carry over for me. I would have a hard time regaining my focus. Um, and, and that, but that probably isn't true with a guy that's a that's reached the level that these guys are. I can't imagine that would be true that they do a trust fall in between any right in between a home run and that causes, uh, you know, uh, I, next time you come up, you're not focused. I mean, these are professionals. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. The, the home run celebrations, I think, are different than some of the other things we're talking about, though. Did you like Dietrich's uh, staring the the home run down in Pittsburgh? That didn't bother me. Wow, I thought you were going to pull your old man card on that one. No, no, that one didn't bother me. Not going to, not going to yell at him to get off your lawn when he does that. See, you, you sometimes you like to play this old man card, but you don't have these uh, get off my lawn views about this stuff and about analytics. You're far too open-minded to play that card too often. I'm, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm being brought along slowly. I'm pulling at the leash, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's got to get you guys got a choker collar on me to pull yeah. me along. You know? right. Come on, give us give us a little something here, Bill. Um, <laughs> I just I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. I don't really have a problem with David Bell's managing, frankly. Other than the Reds aren't winning, I don't I don't put that entirely at his feet. I do think there are questions. I need to think more about this issue with the bullpen uh, games and in terms of having to warm up and all that versus innings pitched and how that he's, they're in a better position to know how much of a toll that takes on their arms than, than we are, but it's something I need to consider. I think you make a good point there. Uh, I don't like watching all the pitching changes. It's just uh, in terms of being a spectator sport, it's not entertaining to me to see a guy come in for one pitch as a mirror. So, and, and, and on that, on the flip side, because, I'm a baseball fan, and and one of the things that I love about baseball compared to other sports is the chess the chess game that's going on. And if you're gonna if you love that chess game, you know I'm moving my piece here. So you got to move your piece here. Then you have to like the pitching. You have to deal with the pitching changes. No, nah, I don't like and, it. And and that's my part of my problem. But there's some of the rules that the freaking commissioner who hates baseball wants to make. Yeah, I don't like it because it makes me have to go watch a stupid commercial. Or, uh, well, from the ballpark's not that bad. Hey, I went down to the ballpark. Why didn't you join me that night? I wasn't invited. Oh, yeah. You were invited. There are plenty of seats available. <laughs> I haven't been down yet. Um, I hadn't until then, and I was not going to go until uh, 
Senzel was called up and uh, did not think it would be the day he was called up, but that happened. Um, but I'll go back. Had a fun time. Yeah, the Reds hit a lot of home runs. Uh, the offense started to come out of their uh, struggles in that San Francisco series. But, again, it's the Giants, and they blew two of those games they should have won. Yeah, that, that very easily – that should have been a sweep. Cool. Could have very easily have been a sweep. And then we're talking uh, something different here. Then they immediately go to Oakland and get no hit by a uh, the most average pitcher ever to throw two no-hitters. Yeah, but, you know, it is what – even a blind pig finds an eight. And then they turn around and score four runs the next night. I can If they score four runs a night – I can an average. I'll live with this. I can live with this team. So that's my question. Do we do we feel like the the no hitter was a little bit of a uh, a blip on the radar, but the offense is finally slowly but surely back. Well, we'll 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 know by the end of this road trip. I think. I think so too. Even though even though they're turning around and playing the Giants again. Oh, thank goodness! Um, but you know what? Look at their home and road records. You yes, know. Thank you. It, if, if, if they continue to play that well at home, they got a buttload of home games left. That's something I meant to bring up and that we hadn't discussed. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, the Reds have played 20 games on the road already, and they're 6-14 and 14 in those games. So they're going to have a ton of uh, home games coming up. And when, the, when the air is, is hot and the ball is flying at Great American Ballpark. Yeah, they've been playing on the road in you know San Diego and Oakland. And coming up, San Francisco, some big ballparks, and and L.A. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that this team is so, so much better. But ultimately, as they say, the team is what the the record says they are, which is true. But I think in this case, I'm still very optimistic. Like like you said, they're going to go on a run here. Uh, just that run would it would look a lot better if they were 500 when they started the run, rather than you know seven games under or whatever. Well, if they can fight, you know, if they can. You know, two out of three, you know, split a four game, you know, go two out of three again or three out of four and, and, and get within striking distance of 500 and then go on a run. If they're, you know, two, three, four, two or three games, maybe even four games under 500 and go on that run, then team, people are going to sit up and take notice. And even if they didn't, you know, before the Oakland series, I looked at it and I figured that if they just go six and five, Every 11 games the rest of the way. I saw this, yeah. Just go 6-5 and five every 11 games. I mean, that's not difficult to do. They would finish with an 84-78 and 78 record. I think we'd all be happy with that. I would. Be, I, it's not what I predicted, but I'd be happy with it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they're not that far away from... It, it looks bad because we've lost so many close games and extra... I think they're 1-4, 1-5 now in extra inning games, and so it looks a lot worse than it really is. I really, truly... One, that's not me putting the rose-colored glasses on. I really, truly believe they are way better than what we've seen. And we've got to get some of those breaks at some point. Yeah. You don't expect that the, the breaks to go against you for 162 games. <laughs> right. So it's got to come our way at some point. Last thing I want to discuss before we get into Red Leg Nation Radio Madness, and this is something that uh, is going to be a continuing topic of conversation, and that's our first baseman, Joseph Daniel Votto. Hey, I like that guy. Love him. Joey Votto, negative 0.2 wins above replacement so far this year. And we keep saying it's coming around. It's going to come around. He's Joey Votto. He always comes around. And we're 35 games in now. And he hadn't come around. I mean, he's, he's hitting 210, 324 on base percentage. Um, 339 slugging percentage. I mean, he's just, he's he's hitting weak ground balls. He's just really struggling. He's popping out on the infield that he never used to do. And I still, my position is still, it's Joey Votto. He's going to come around. I guess the way I'll put it to you is how concerned are you at this point? Because now we're getting into the area where the sample sizes are growing a little bit. More, more daily. Uh, and, and we, and you asked me, you know, I was more pessimistic about Votto going into the year than you were. Yeah. Um, and we talked, you know, one of the things that I wonder about, and, and, and I'm no, I've, I've not studied the long-term ramifications of this or whether this is even true. And I don't know whether it's because I'm watching closer or watching more of the Reds, but the home plate umpiring seems to me to be worse than I've ever seen. Now, maybe it's because the boxes, the little boxes there all the time, and, and, and it's easier to tell. And that the, and that the, the uh, announcers tend to bring it to your attention, you know, when they blow a call. You know, you know that was three inches outside or whatever. 
And I would think if the strike zone is being missed as much as it seems like it is to me using the eyeball test, I would think one of the guys that would be most affected by that would be Joey Votto by an inconsistent strike zone. Yeah, it's like the old story about Ted Williams. Uh, Mr. Umpire, when Mr. Williams thinks it's a strike, he'll let you know. That's right. <laughs> when they call, call a strike on him. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I just, that's a, it's a, but it's just something that occurred to me. But I would think it would it would it would affect him more than than Puig, who right. swings everything. I think you're right. I mean, I think that's absolutely true. But I guess I'm I'm eager to accept that theory just because I I want to believe there's something external because he's just not been Joey Votto. He just you know he looks like the same Joey Votto. Uh, his swing looks like the same Joey Votto. The results are not the same, and uh, yeah, we're getting to a point now where it's. Uh, you know, he's 145 plate appearances into the season. You know, a quarter of the way, essentially, through the season and has been a, a bad hitter. Objectively, has been a bad hitter. Yeah, I mean, at the rate he's going now, he's going to end up with less than 80 walks. <laughs> For most people, that's not that big a deal. But For Joe Lotto, that's huge. Well, he's not had a full season in his career where he's had fewer than – well, he's not had it since 2010. He hasn't had a full year where he's had fewer than a hundred, right? Um, well, uh, and, and that was yeah. that was his MVP year. He was mashing the ball otherwise so much he didn't. Golly, what a year that year was! My goodness, just looking at his stat line. Yeah, I'm looking at it too. He was most valuable. You think? Yeah, this year I don't know. I, you know, I'm still again. It's my position that he's Joey Votto. He's going to come around. We've seen this before, and we have seen him struggle mightily in the first half of seasons before. We've never seen 35-year-old Joey Votto do this, and uh, we've not seen Votto, who is coming off a down year, do this. A down year for him. It was still a pretty good year last year. So I'm not concerned, but I'm paying attention. <laughs> I think that's – does that make sense the way I'm explaining that? Yeah. Are you concerned or are you just – have your interest? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned and becoming more concerned every day. Yeah, I'm. I'm watching. Till he goes on a, a streak where he where he looks like the Joey Votto that I know, then I'm going to be concerned. Yeah, and th- that could happen tonight. Let's hope so. It could happen. happen. Yeah. All right. You want to talk some Red Leg Nation Radio madness? Sure. All right. You know, if you've been listening the last few weeks, we started with 68 uh, uh, teams. We're going to say 68 players. And we're doing a uh, March Madness type uh, bracket where your votes determine who goes on to the next round. We started with 68 and we're down to eight now, the Elite Eight. And your votes at redlegnation.com have helped us eliminate it down to the final four. These were the most difficult decisions this week. They were all one seed versus two seeds, which means that the committee must have done something right in seeding these down. But I think pretty clearly, I mean, you know, each of these guys deserves to be in the final eight. But some difficult uh, choices here, so let's go ahead and uh, and dig into them. The first in the Crosley region, looking for the first uh, berth in the Final Four. Hey, uh, Virginia basketball made it to the Final Four this year in the college tournament. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. In the in the Crosley region, you don't seem so excited about that. You, you, uh, you well, again that that you know the horse is powder. <laughs> um, I'm not you did that. you did see what I told you about you about Twitter about the kids from Marquette, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, have you got your diaper changed since then? <laughs> Easy, partner. Come on, they're not supposed to, you're not supposed to let everybody know about that. <laughs> uh, my my incontinence problems. Um, the elite eight in the Crosley region. Ugh. Number one seed Johnny Bench versus number two seed Veda Pinson. Johnny Bench uh, regarded as the best catcher in baseball history history by many observers versus the most underrated player in Reds franchise history, Veda Pinson. Who you got here, Bill? Well, I, I think uh, this is a blowout. How do you know? Because I'm looking at the website. Because <laughs> you're looking at the results. <laughs> uh, and that's the way you would have voted, I'm sure, too, uh, for yes. John, Johnny Bench with 98% of the vote. Johnny Bench has been the most dominant performer all the way through uh, in each round. He was unanimous in the first round, and now he's into the final four. It's not fair to Veda Pinson. It's not a criticism, Veda, to say you're not – you weren't quite as good as Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench is uh, an all-time. I'm surprised he didn't get more than seven votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 
98% to 2%, Johnny Bench moves on. He's the first entrant. He's the Crosley region uh, champion. And so he can cut down the nets, and he'll move on to the final four. In the Riverfront region, number one seed Frank Robinson versus number two seed Tony Perez. Now let me ask you this. Ignore the results. Okay. If we're talking, again, I've said this every week, most valuable. And how you determine valuable is you can everybody can choose their own way of determining valuable. Everybody on the Big Red Machine basically said Tony Perez was the most valuable guy on that team, right? That's what they said. And? And, and when they traded him, they never won again. All right. So uh, did you think about voting for Tony Perez in this matchup? No. You So you went with Frank Robinson? Yes, I did. As did 71% of the rest of you. Moving on with 71 to 29% Frank Robinson with a dominant victory over Hall of Famer Tony Perez. What we don't need to really say anything about Robinson other than he's one of the all-time inner circle Hall of Famers. Yeah. yeah. If you want, if you want to be, if you want to, you can, you can look at either his Reds career or his Orioles career, and you and you you'll be amazed at the numbers that he had. Yeah. If, if if you had never looked at him before, he's a Hall of Famer. If you just take either the Reds career or the yeah. Orioles career. Uh, the other t- two Elite Eight matchups after Frank Robinson and Johnny Minchin moved on to the Final Four. These were the two closest matchups in the Final Four, or in the Elite Eight, and the two that uh, caused a little bit of consternation for most of the uh, commenters. Number one seed in the Great American region, Joe Morgan, versus number two seed, Joey Votto. Any thoughts? Easy choice to me. I think so, too. We go With Joey, though, we've got the recency bias a little bit. Yep, and we got the fact that if you really look at the numbers, Votto does have a good argument to be the most valuable hitter, the best hitter, I should say, not most valuable, but the best hitter in Reds history. He does have a great argument for that. Yep, I'm not sure how you can put him above Joe Morgan, who just um, <laughs> he was the most valuable. Regardless of what the other guys say, he was the most valuable guy. Back to back MVP on World Championship teams. Yeah, on the best teams in franchise history. So. So Morgan did win 63% to 37%. Joe Morgan is our third number one seed that moves on. And the, to- other thing, the other thing never forget about Morgan is he was – he may have been the original five-tool player. He could do – there wasn't anything he couldn't do. Yeah, even hit for power as a little guy. Yep. So Joe Morgan moves on along with Frank Robinson and Johnny Bench to the Final Four. The final matchup in the Palace of the Fans region. Number one seed Pete Rose – Versus number two seed Barry Larkin. Now tell me first how you vo- you voted in this one, if you don't mind letting Pete. us know your secret ballot. Pete, you voted for Pete. Absolutely, and I am. Yeah. All right, I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, reaction here because I in, know in an upset, Barry Larkin with 58 percent of the votes to Pete Rose's 42. Pete Rose, the only number one seed, not advancing to the final four as Larkin moves right along. Let's hear it. I think it's a personal bias against Pete Rose. And nothing against Barry Larkin. I love Barry Larkin. Is there, you know, is, is there an Pete argument was, that Larkin, though, was a more elite player at his position and thus more valuable to the Reds? Rose was an all-star at, what, five different positions, captain of the world championship team two years in a row, two batting titles, MVP, uh, was a superstar outfielder that moved – to a position he'd never played before other than a handful of games to help his team. Okay. So maybe you could add that into the valuable portion of it because he wasn't very good at any of the positions. One golden glove two years in a row. Yeah. Okay. Shall we talk about Raphael Palmero? If you're going to, if you're going to give Barry Larkin kudos for his gold gloves, you got to give Pete Rose kudos for his. Okay. Uh, so you're comparing Pete Rose's defense to Barry Larkin's defense. I'm saying he won two golden gloves in the outfit. <laughs> Okay, we're, we have a disagreement on that one. But there's so many things we disagree about, then just add it to the list, right? I think you'd get tired of being wrong. <laughs> Someday I will, my friend. Someday I will. <laughs> I voted for Barry Larkin in that one because I just, uh, you know, I, and I know, I think you're right. The reason why Rose's vote totals were depressed is because he, frankly, was a, um, and continues to be someone who I don't really w- wouldn't want to be in the same room with, uh, you know. He's, uh, he just is what he is. We don't need to get into all the allegations and all the things. Whatever. He's Pete Rose. Um but for me, Barry Larkin, just on the field, he was the, the heart of a championship team. He was the best shortstop in baseball. He won an MVP, at, uh, you know, a, a gold gloves at an elite defensive position. 
Um, I just think that uh, a long career, I don't know. I just think that Barry Larkin, the committee almost had him as number one seed in this region. And uh, maybe the results say we should have, but I think P. Rose is the right choice. But when it came down to it and I had to start thinking most valuable, I went with Larkin. And that may have been some personal, you talk about personal bias, that may have just been Larkin was my guy. He was he was the guy when I was sort of coming of age as a Reds fan. And uh, I'm partial to him. So let's break down these final four matchups. Let me know who you got. First one, I know who you have in this one. Joe Morgan versus Barry Larkin. Yeah, I'll take Morgan. I think that's well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, again, I wonder how much this whole time I've wondered how what we keep calling recency bias is going to creep in. More people saw Larkin play than than Morgan. You would think at this point of the ones that are voting. I don't know. Um, Morgan clearly, to me, a better player. Uh, I think to everyone, Joe Morgan's an inner circle Hall of Famer. But we'll see how that goes. The other one I think is going to be interesting. I think I know who's going to win it. But I think this Johnny Bench versus Frank Robinson. That's a fun matchup, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I and I honestly, you know, right now I couldn't. T- I, I I lean towards bench, and that may be my bias of of watching him his whole career. Yeah, and and and, and Frank Robinson was a little before my time. Um, but both of them just inner circle, like you you said, inner circle Hall of Famers. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to go on that one. I really don't. Uh, I don't I, either. I hope everyone will look at their stats because I'll have links at redlegnation.com. Uh, the polls will go live Sunday night, 8 p.m. They'll be live for three days as we've done every round to see who gets to the championship. And I'm going to be going to those, uh, clicking those links and going to look at their careers and really trying to v- weigh what each of them did. Uh, that to me is, I don't I, just, I don't know. Most of these I've had an idea how I was going to vote going in. This one I had literally have no idea how I'm going to vote in that one. So I think I know who's going to win. I won't say it, but uh, I hope everyone will go and look at the stats. All right, so we're down to the final four in Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. Before we uh, cut out here, Bill, any other thoughts about the current Reds, how things are going? Do you expect it to turn around any day now? Derek Dietrich hit another home run today. <laughs> oh my um, he is the greatest player in the history of the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, we can agree on that. I, I'll tell you what. It's been a long time since I've had somebody that I think is as much is, is any funner to watch. You know what I'm going to do? Whenever we determine who wins the uh, Red Lake Nation Radio Madness tournament, we're going to have an extra round where the winner goes up against Derek Dietrich in an arm wrestling contest. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see some old guy in an arm wrestling contest with uh, Dietrich. Maybe Larkin could give him a a go. Um, Maybe. You know, this team, uh, I love that guy. You got me distracted now. I love that guy. <laughs> uh, we are closer now than we've been all season to the Reds having the best 25 guys on the roster. Uh, Scooter's the only guy you can really, and, and maybe Shebler is a bench guy. Those are the only guys you can really argue about. Scooter with his bat probably helps this team. Or the line, yeah, we're talking about the lineup. And you wonder what they're going to do when, when Scooter's healthy and, and, and in terms of playing time-wise – and in terms of roster-wise. I know what I do. I put move Peraza back to short because I don't think Iglesias can maintain this. But, man, he's smooth with a glove. My goodness. He's fun to watch. Would you bench him while he's playing this well? Uh, I think that I probably uh, – bench him is not the right term. He gets a lot more no, – Nobody gets benched in David on David Shula's team. <laughs> David Shula? Did you really go there? I did say that, didn't I? David <laughs> My apologies to David Bell for that for that faux pas. <laughs> David Shula, wow, it's really gone off the rails here. My goodness, um, man, that's an insult. Wow, <laughs> I knew you didn't I like David Bell. Bell, he's gonna punch me right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think this team is is set to is poised to really with Senzel now here, and uh, he's not the savior, but he is does make the team better. I think that some of these guys have got to come around, and we've seen some flashes. Puig's uh, come around just a little bit here recently. Um, I don't know. I, I feel really good about, about Peraza. The- Are you worried about Peraza? Nah, I'm not. Not yet. I mean, you know, he's had stretches like this before, and it's it's because of the fact that he swings at too many pitches. Yep. But in the past, he's always made enough contact to cover that up some, and he's always sort of come back. And here lately, he's finally gotten a few walks. Um, after starting the season with none, I think he was pressing a little bit, and I think the switching back to second base didn't help him uh, mentally. But he's still just twenty five years old. And well, he's, that's true. But and you and you wonder whether the, the the signing of Iglesias kind of threw him off too. 
And I think we've talked about that. Anyway. If if you're in practice out of spring training and you're watching Jose Iglesias take grounders and you know he plays the same position as you, would you be worried? Because Iglesias – Not if I could really hit. Now, of course, Iglesias is hitting really well too, so. That's the flip side. And so it would be interesting to see what happens if and when Scooter comes back because Iglesias has hit uh, well, certainly particularly well for him. Um yeah, I would be concerned if I were a guy watching the Glaciers, knowing I'm fighting just strictly defensively, because he is as smooth a defensive shortstop as we've seen in Cincinnati in a long time. The uh, the pitching continues to do well. I don't know. I'm still on board with this team going on a run here soon, and really uh, making all of this, all of this, uh, all the complaining, all the worrying go away. We just need a the couple- interesting to see if if Alex Wood ever gets healthy. Yeah, they're gonna have, they're gonna have an, and things continue. It's gonna be an interesting decision in the rotation. It is. It really is because everybody deserves to stay in that rotation right now. So, all right. Any other final thoughts? Nope. <laughs> you, you can find us everywhere you find your podcasts: uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast. You know, we say it every week. Go there, get us, uh, leave us a rating review if you can, especially at uh, Apple uh, or iTunes. And uh, tell people you like us. Five stars reviews, five star reviews only. Five stars only. Uh, you can find Bill at Bill Redleg in on Twitter. I'm at Dotson C. We're at Redleg Radio on Twitter, and then you can go to RedlegNation.com every single week where we've been discussing the Reds since 2005. Bill, it's always fun talking to you, buddy. You too, my friend. All right, for Bill Lack and Derek Dietrich, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.